Hey, Real Talkers, it's a major story. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons pointing the finger at India for the cold-blooded killing of Canadian Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Najjar, who was shot dead in Surrey, B.C. back in June. What does this mean? There are international implications. What does accountability look like from India? We go there in this episode of Real Talk. But first, we talk to two parents who are taking action on their own climate anxiety. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. It's uh, Ryan Jesperson with John Hicks on this Tuesday, September 19th, coming up in about 20 minutes time or so. Uh, Harman Singh Kandola will join us in studio. You've you've heard him. You've seen him on the show before as a member uh, of our uh, group chat roundtable. He's a lawyer that practices here in our home city of Edmonton, but he's going to be joining us today in the context of his role as uh, vice president of the World Sick Organization Canada uh, to comment on a remarkable story that's that's really, I think, capturing the attention of people, not just in Canada, but in the United States, in the UK, and certainly in India, as the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is accusing the government of India of involvement in the fatal shooting of a Canadian Sikh leader. This was back in June, June 18th, in Surrey, outside of a Gurdwara. Uh, Hardeep Singh Nijar was the president of that Gurdwara. He was shot dead in his vehicle uh, by two assailants who uh, escaped uh, in a nearby vehicle. The shooting was widely condemned uh, around the world. I mean, as a matter of fact, his uh, funeral services, his memorial was attended by thousands and thousands of people, uh, many of them, uh, international uh, attendees, people who who arrived in Canada to pay their respects to the Sikh leader uh, who was designated, uh, described uh, by New Delhi as a Khalistani terrorist. He was one who has been fighting for the independent Sikh state. And uh, basically what this comes down to, the allegation that the prime minister of Canada, Canada's foreign affairs ministers and others are making, is that this is a state-sponsored murder on Canadian soil. Canada has gone so far as to expel a senior Indian diplomat, that's uh, Pavan Kumar Rai, and India, as is being reported by CNN this morning, expelling a Canadian diplomat. In uh, CNN's description as a tit-for-tat move, as a spat, I think you might describe it as more than that, a spat over an assassinated sick activist deepens. Uh, both the prime minister and the leader of the official opposition, Pierre Polyev, calling this a direct threat to Canadian sovereignty. And Harmon's going to get into this, and I suspect that he's bringing his blowtorch to do the talking today because this is something that he and the World Sick Organization has been talking about for quite some time. <clears throat> I'm going to save some of my comments and save some of my observations for when Harmon's here because he's much more qualified to talk about this. But in particular, I want to ask him about federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's response to this yesterday. Because there are layers to that story, and we're going to get into that in this episode of Real Talk. First, though, in just one minute, we're going to meet a couple of uh, Albertans, engaged Albertans, who have joined an organization that they describe as small but mighty. It's an organization, uh, a national one, called For Our Kids, and they're fighting for the planet. They're outside the World Petroleum Congress in Calgary this week uh, demonstrating. We're going to find out exactly what they're up to, why they're doing it, 
this interview that's coming up was prompted by an email to the show. We invite you oftentimes, as a matter of fact, almost every show, to send us your thoughts to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And that's exactly what Heidi Bergstrom did. You may remember her name. Heidi has been on the show before a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, to talk about government supported like $10 a day child care, basically government supported or government subsidized child care. And she came at it from two angles as a mom and as a professional working in accounting. Uh, she did an amazing job on the show. She's remained a friend of the show. If you join us live weekday mornings, if you're watching on YouTube, you've probably seen Heidi's name pop up from time to time in the chat. Uh, she's going to be joined by Claire Kratz, and the two of them are going to take us into that story. The whole talk about climate anxiety, we've been getting emails from a lot of you referencing that specific or employing that specific phrase. And those conversations have been prompted by coverage uh, that we've brought you on wildfires in the Maritimes, in B.C. and in Alberta, on flooding across the country and around the world and on other stories relating to the planet. I mean, talking about Alberta's wind and solar moratorium, as an example, has prompted a strong response from a lot of you. So I'm interested to see where our two guests are going to go on that. We wanted to let you know that this episode happens with support from our friends at Danatech. If you're looking to give your team the industry's best safety training, Danatech has been Alberta's safety training leader for more than three decades, more than 30 years. Their courses are designed by experts with real on-the-job experience, so the courses are actually going to make a difference on your job site. They're actually going to resonate, be taken seriously, and make a difference. You can save lost time due to injuries. You can stay compliant with changing regulations. And of course, you can save money on training with Danatech. Big companies across Canada use Danatech's systems uh, with TDG, electrical, lifting device courses, and more for good reason. And they've got a catalog of more than 150 courses across a whole bunch of industries. You can visit Danatech.com to see their courses and ask them about their bulk discounts. Again, that's Danatech.com. Well, we lead off this morning with uh, two real talkers who are uh, making a difference in their community. They're giving of their time. They're pouring their efforts into an organization, an upstart known as For Our Kids. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the program Heidi Bergstrom and to say hello to Claire Kratz. Uh, Claire has been uh, a regular contributor to our inbox. She's kept us informed on issues and initiatives relating to the planet. But, but Claire, this is the first time that you and I have spoken. Uh, so a, a warm welcome to both of you. And thanks for making time for us. Heidi, it's great to have you back. I can't believe it's already been I think it's been a couple of years since you first joined us. Yeah, close to three already. Close to three years. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, how, did, how, did, how did you and Claire get to know each other? Have you been friends for a long time or did, did this organization <laughs> no. connect you to? It was just through Twitter. Claire and I have actually never met in person. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but we just, we connected over like, you know, kind of similar retweets and, and posts on stuff like that. And I kind of, I felt like she was a kindred spirit. So I reached out to her and, uh, and we decided to to start for our kids Alberta together. Well, fantastic. Claire, I feel like on, on certain episodes of Real Talk, you've deserved a producer credit at the end <laughs> of the show, considering how much information that you sent us. And it became abundantly clear to me, I think the first time that you were in touch with us, uh, you know, three years ago, I mean, it must have been the second or third day that we did an episode of the show. Uh, that you care very deeply uh, about the planet. You care very deeply about the environment. Is, is, it, is it a stretch to call it your life's work? 
Um, it, it probably has become my life's work. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a journey, though. It hasn't, uh, it hasn't always been my life's work. It really started with the Fort McMurray fires. I think that lit a spark. Mm. <laughs> and uh, sadly, I, um, you know, that, that event just really turned things around for me. So, you know, you've had John Valent on the show, mm-hmm. and I believe he has talked about how that event impacted Albertans. And for sure, that event impacted me significantly. Um, and then, you know, that was 2016. And, and then the few summers after that, with the wildfires in British Columbia and smoky days, that, that, prompted me to just start reading as much as I could possibly read. And then I think it was a couple of years ago, Heidi and I decided, okay, now we, we know enough, we can start to act in our communities. So I'll let people know that uh, John Valent is the author of a book called Fire Weather. Uh, I, I won't soon forget our conversation with him. It was back on June 20th, and people can check that out in our podcast archives or on YouTube. Um, he, 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 he let us know, Claire, as you'll remember, uh, that we are at the beginning of what he called a century of fire, uh, which is kind of a, a shocking realization to make as, as you listen to this respected journalist and best-selling author uh, talk about his study into wildfires in Canada and around the world. I recommend people check out that episode if they haven't already. Heidi, how did you become connected with Four Our Kids? What's this all about? Um, it was It was just me. Uh, searching for an outlet for my anxiety, for someone to connect with or a way to kind of channel my fears into action. And, you know, specifically, I'm I'm worried about my children and the future of my children. Uh, and so, you know, I kept, I was just looking up organizations for parents, organizations for parents was over and over. And, and you know, four kids kind of kept showing up. And I, I liked their website, so I joined one of their welcome calls and, you know, their mission, their attitude really spoke to me. Um, and so that's when I reached out to Claire and and it turned out that they had reached out to Claire previously about starting a four kids chapter. Um, and so, you know, it kind of worked out that she was ready. I was ready. And uh, and we made it happen. So, Heidi, when, when we talk about climate anxiety, uh, can, can you give us a sense of, of how that manifests itself with you? Is it is it based on an incident? Is, is, is it sort of like this this almost per- perennial or perpetual feeling that you have? How would you describe yeah. it? Um, well, I got pregnant with my third child in <clears throat> June of 2021. I was already feeling uh, some low-level guilt about, you know, bringing another child into the world, increasing my carbon footprint, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then the heat dome hit. And it less, it became less about, like, my impact on the world and much, much more about the world's impact on our lives mm. and the my children's lives. And, and like, <laughs> it was crushing. Uh, I had a really, really tough time getting through it. Honestly, I, I feel I think it took a couple of years. Like, I feel like I'm just kind of at a point where I've accepted it. It's become a part of who I am. And I have kind of given myself permission to be happy again. <laughs> um, 
so it was it was a couple of years of uh of being really worried really really guilty about bringing kids into the world um you know feeling very alone for a while because i didn't know how to talk to people about it um because it's a i i feel like it's a, almost a taboo thing maybe especially in alberta where so much of our world is uh is driven by, by oil and gas um and so i had a really tough time talking to people and so that's why I'm really so thankful for for four kids, for Claire, for our little organization, because it's just been really nice to not feel alone in that. Claire, have you have you noticed that people can check out, by the way, I'll let them know they can check out for our kids dot ca families taking action for the climate. Is, is this kind of designed to be a, a forum or a gathering place or a connector in a sense for for people that are experiencing not only maybe the same <laughs> Uh, emotions or, or the same sort of uh, mental stress, but but also maybe a shared goal or shared mission. Is that kind of the whole point? Yeah, I I think what for our kids is doing is very dependent on where you are in the in the in the country. So we have there are really big teams in places like Vancouver and Montreal and um, Ottawa, uh, Toronto. And, and they're really just kind of getting on with it. Like they're taking action at the school level, having what's called climate conversations outside their schools. Um, the kids, it's driven by the kids, but it's also the parents seeing that, oh, if I get involved, if I support my kids in this, then we can make even more of a difference. In Alberta, we are very small. So there's Heidi and myself and a few core members. And it is in some ways a support network because we all have felt or continue to feel quite alone in this. So um, yeah, you're seeing two of our core members as as well as myself in that photo. That's Miranda. This is uh, uh, for people that are listening on the podcast. We're showing some photos. This is you and and some of your uh, group members, some of your members outside the World Petroleum Congress yesterday, correct? In Calgary? Yes, on Sunday. Yeah, we, Sunday. we met at City Hall. We heard some fantastic speakers and then we did a slow march down Stephen Avenue to the world or sorry, yeah, to where the World Petroleum Congress was meeting in front of the TELUS Convention Center. It was very peaceful. We had a lot of police presence. It felt safe. Um, but we got to stand there and confront uh, in a very peaceful way um, delegates of the World Petroleum Congress. Uh, many of them were standing in the Pedway, the plus 15 Pedway here in Calgary. And, and so we were down on the street looking up at them and they were taking pictures of us and we were chanting, we are not safe. And it did feel very powerful to be there and to at least be able to say to the people that are making big decisions inside this week, because that's going on all week. Um, it felt powerful to, to stand there and do that. And I, I'm not a protester. I just have to say that <laughs> I don't like crowds. Um, I'm a, I'm more of a keyboard warrior. I like writing letters. I like meeting one-on-one -on -one or with small groups. I am, I'm not a crowd person, but it was important for me to go 
on Sunday. And what's, so, yeah, what's your Claire, uh, what's, what's your, like your specific, if you, if you had a delegate there in person and like, let's say a, a group of them walks up to you and, and wants <laughs> to pick your brain, like, let's say they, they go, okay, like what, what's one tangible thing you'd like to us to take from this? What's one bit of climate action or, or maybe a concession that you'd like to see? I mean, are you are you of the school of thought? And we've heard guests on this show say, you know, I, I remember Zipporah Berman a while ago saying, you got to leave everything, you know, leave the rest of the oil in the ground, like shut it down now. And then, and then on, on probably on the flip side, on the on the way other end of the spectrum, it's like, you know, climate change has always happened. It's not real. We should drill, baby, drill. And, uh, you know, Canada should do everything it can. Like, I, I suspect you're, you're, you're closer to Zipporah than drill, baby, drill. But but what would be a call to action? What would you what would be your, your focused message to delegates at the World Petroleum Congress? I want them to stop fighting uh, the idea of an emissions cap. So we, we need a bold emissions cap that that is really key in Canada. And I would say that the the polling the reason polling supports that albertans want that 62 percent of albertans polled from the canadian association of physicians for the environment um want a bold emissions cap and so if you're you know if you're out you know all those people out there listening <laughs> there is a, a, a for our kids take action on our on our website um, and that's just one just one thing that you you can do. And, and that number is much higher, actually, for the 18 to 34 um, year old age bracket. It's it's uh, it's closer to, I think, 72 or 75 percent that support a strong emissions cap. And so these these corporations have been lobbying against that. I mean, because they know that it would it works, it, it would it would help. Um, and I don't, at this point, I don't think that we can trust them to do this on their own. And so we need our governments to regulate that. Um, in, uh, in the whole, like fighting for the kids movement, uh, and this group called for our kids, there's, there's, uh, some kind of like, I, I guess you might call them underhanded compliments, but they're, they're actually kind of, there's nothing funny about climate change, but there's something funny about these comments here. I will say. Uh, final buzzer in our live chat says it's nice to see an organization claiming to be for our kids that really actually does have the future of kids in mind. Tony says, to be honest, when Ryan said the name of the organization, my first thought was, oh, no, not another take back Alberta whack job group. But then when he mentioned Heidi, it was all good. <laughs> So, so Heidi, I guess your reputation is, is given the group some credibility uh, amongst amongst real talkers. Have you found Heidi that that through your your initial action with this group or your participation, as you've been learning more about it? And again, people can check out for our kids.ca. Have have you have you found that your your climate anxiety has subsided a little bit? I mean, are you feeling like you're making progress there? Do you feel a little bit better about what's going on around you? Oh, hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Um, like I said before, just like not feeling alone has been huge. Just hearing other parents and kind of, you know, commiserating a bit. And, uh, and, you know, we, we are doing action where we're fighting for, you know, electric school buses. That's a big thing that we're working on. Um, and that's, you know, not only for the environment, but also it, it extends to mental health as well, because, you know, there's, 
there's studies that say that when kids see the adults in their lives trying and fighting for them, that their own climate anxiety will go down as well. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, it's been really nice to have this this connection and and this broader network because it's not just for Kids Alberta that we're you know in contact with. We're with you know in contact with um, members throughout. Canada. So it's been it's been a really good experience for me. Do you get the sense that uh, I mean, that that uh, decision makers are taking it seriously? I mean, do you, do you have optimism? Like when you talk about electric school buses, I find that sometimes and I'm not the pessimist, I'm the realist. Right. Yeah. But I find a lot of times people have really great ideas and then a government minister hears about it. Or I mean, if you're lucky enough to get the ear of the minister and they go, yeah, no. Or they go, yeah, that's going to cost four hundred million dollars. We're not doing that. Yeah, we're uh, we're not really talking to to the government on this. We're talking directly to school boards and uh. transportation companies. Um, you know, I there is an electric school bus that's operating uh, in Parkland County, and I talked to them, and he said, uh, like the operator said, it's the best bus that they have. It's the most reliable bus that they have. Wow. So, um, yeah, I know. I honestly, I was expecting him to be like, eh, it's okay, um, but no, he, he loved it, and so. Uh, so people are receptive. They sometimes they don't even really know it's an option. Um, we bring these ideas to them. We bring the facts to them and, uh, you know, tell them about the, the subsidies because, yes, they are expensive, but the government is subsidizing them. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Natalie in our live chat says, I have such gratitude uh, to these mothers for their leadership. We need more adults to advocate for climate solutions. Uh, Natalie says, as some kids had uh, written on a banner at a climate strike over the weekend, later is too late. Uh, that from Natalie in our chat. Uh, I want to thank both of you for being here and, and thank you for your advocacy. Uh, I want to let Real Talkers know as well. Uh, there's a great piece. Uh, I had a chance, and, and Claire, thanks for passing it along. Or maybe it was you, Heidi. I don't remember both of you. Uh, flooding me with good information, which is a positive. Uh, investing for our kids shouldn't be this hard. Uh, it's uh, by a gal by the name of Miranda, who's a member of For Our Kids. And again, you can check that out on their website. You'll find it in the show notes. Uh, Heidi Bergstrom, Claire Kratz, uh, right here on Real Talk. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having us. You bet. You can let us know what you think about this. I can tell it's resonating with some of you, just showing gratitude in the live chat. Others of you, uh, be curious to know if, if, if this, you know, kind of spurred something within you, uh, if this resonates with you, if you're experiencing so-called climate anxiety. I'm serious. It's a recurring phrase that we see in emails to the show. And sometimes they're really like supercharged messages. People are pissed uh, when they see stuff going on around them. And, and others kind of are, are in a, uh, which, which I think is, is really uh, hard to read. People are in positions where they just feel like, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm stressed. I feel anxious. I see the news happening around me. I see evidence of things happening around us. I'm listening to the science and it just doesn't seem like people are paying attention. And if you found a community uh, like what Heidi says she just did, then, you know, that's a positive. You can let us know how that landed with you. Harman Singh Candola in just a moment. I wanted to let you know that this conversation is presented by Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. Uh, they're providing weekly delivery to your door uh, to the Metro Calgary and Edmonton areas as well as Central Alberta with a minimum order of $50. Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food is what we feed our dogs 
And that's because we've seen the health benefits over the years that we've doing business. Uh, we've been doing business with this family-owned business. There's a couple of things happening through the month of September that I want to tell you about. Number one, a promo uh, for beef and bison raw pet food. This is their best-selling, most popular raw pet food blend. It's the beef and bison. If you use the discount code September 2023. At granddog.ca, September 2023, they're going to knock 10 bucks off the cost of that raw pet food blend. And you can use that discount code as many times as you like through the month if you want to load up your freezer. There's also the Mine Pet Platter. And this is what our dogs eat off. This is like, forget about kind of the standard doggy dish or the dog bowl. You know what I mean? The Mind Pet Planner is designed with your pet's natural instincts in mind, with colors they can see. The food is spread out naturally, so it slows their eating pace. They're even dishwasher safe, and they're on special right now, 25% off through the month of September. You can find it under the Shop Now link at granddog.ca. It's a perfect time of year for those of you that are looking to the fall, to the winter, and and you're soon. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you'll be making a New Year's resolution to get more organized. Well, you might want to get started with a call or a note online to California Closets. The consultation is free. You can request it on their website, californiaclosets.ca. Whether it's a family room setup, like an entertainment center like we did, maybe you need a new closet, maybe you've had that dream walk-in you've always wanted to build, maybe you need an arts and crafts center for the kids, or maybe you want to overhaul your garage. They are masters in maximizing the impact and the value of your biggest investment, your home, including garage storage cabinets. If that resonates with you, don't hesitate. Get started today by visiting californiaclosets.com. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want you to know that they're hiring right now. If you're a skilled electrician, if you're a tradesperson, if you got experience as an installer and you want to be part of Canada's green energy movement, you're going to want to check out kubienergy.ca. They're looking to hire team members in Calgary, Edmonton, Lethbridge, Kamloops. You can work with a dynamic and innovative company that's revolutionizing the renewable energy industry in Canada Plus, they have cold beer on tap and floor hockey on Fridays. Yeah, you heard me right. You can apply or check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. At Complete Care Restoration, for more than 10 years, this family-owned business has made it their mission to get families and businesses back on their feet after disaster strikes. That's right there. Alberta's experts in repairing fire and flood damage, as well as removing mold and asbestos. They've got uh, talented and trained team members that treat every project as if it's their own. Restoring your home to like, kind, and quality condition is their goal with every project, regardless of size and scope. They use the latest technology in estimating. They have project management software and non-destructive investigation techniques to ensure that every job is done professionally, respectfully, and honestly. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. And a reminder to those of you that are making decisions on behalf of businesses in Alberta and Saskatchewan, big or small, whether it's a ma and pa shop, a retail location, could be a restaurant, could be a hotel or a shopping mall, If you're in charge of making the call on garbage and recycling, hell, if you work for a municipality and you're in charge of the contracts, if you haven't been in touch with local environmental, you're probably paying too much. You can request a quote today on their website, localenvironmental.ca, and find out 
how partnering with local means not just better service, but better prices and more support for local causes as well. And don't forget, Local Environmental uh, presents Trash Talk every Friday right here on the show. Your chance to send us an email and blow off a little steam, courtesy of Local Environmental Services. A remarkable story uh, developing in Canada as the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is accusing the government of India in the involvement, the fatal shooting of a Canadian Sikh leader uh, back on June 18th in Surrey. It's a claim that will obviously have seismic effects on an already shaky bilateral relationship. Harman Singh Candola is a wonderful friend of this show. He's also the VP Alberta for the World Sick Organization of Canada, and he's making time to join us in studio. Thanks for making time for us, Harman, and it's nice to see your face. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is a, a story, obviously, the, the killing of Hardeep Singh Najjar that has been not only on your radar, but the radar of the World Sick Organization for, for, for quite some time. And it goes way beyond that. Uh, the story, uh, while obviously uh, gaining a lot of international attention because of this state-sanctioned murder on Canadian soil, uh, has many layers that go back many years. Yeah, absolutely. So yesterday was an unprecedented moment for Canadian Six. For the Prime Minister to rise in the House of Commons and produce and say that there's credible evidence to link the Indian government and Indian agents uh, with the murder of Hardeep Singh Nijjar uh, was something that the community has known all along. You know, this is something that right after the assassination of Hardeep Singh Nijjar happened, the community knew that the Indian government was linked to it. They've talked about this, you know, and when you saw the funeral of Hardeep Singh Nijjar, tens of thousands of people from the Sikh community came out and the speeches all pointed the finger at the Indian government. Hardeep Singh Nijjar was a local Sikh activist. He was the president of the Gordwara there. Um, he's somebody who has been on the radar of the Indian government for speaking out against uh, the Indian government and its terrible human rights record. You know, and, and before him, there was Aftar Singh Kanda in, in the UK who, was, uh, who died under mysterious circumstances a month before. Um, again, the community is pointed to the Indian government. Before that, uh, in March of 2023, uh, uh, Parmjeet Singh Panjwar uh, was killed in Pakistan. Again, another prominent Sikh activist who was killed in Pakistan under uh, suspicious circumstances. So the community had been following this along and understood that the Indian government had now started a brazen campaign of assassinating prominent Sikhs across the world in different countries. And it opened up a new chapter in how how the Indian government was overreaching and going after dis people who uh, criticized its record. Now... The issue of foreign interference of the Indian government in this country is a long-standing problem. This is something that's been well-documented through the 80s, through the 90s. It's something that um, Sikh activists have put on government radars consistently. Now, it's taken time for the liberals to really wrap their heads around what the Indian government was really trying to do. In 2018, we saw Trudeau go to India, and people start like to mock that trip for different reasons. Mm -hmm. I mean... They don't understand that that entire trip and, and the embarrassment and the narratives that came out of India to criticize Trudeau, those were not done because Trudeau had somehow misstepped or he did the wrong dance move or wore you know, uh, so, uh, some costume. It had nothing to do with that. They were trying to embarrass Justin Trudeau to compel him to sign a, an intelligence sharing agreement. The Indian government has consistently tried to get Canadian government 
to sign an agreement where they would share intelligence. And when Harper went to India, when he was prime minister, he actually refused to sign this agreement. He said, I can't trust you to give me good intelligence because you're a country that relies upon obtaining intelligence through illegal means. You use torture. You use, uh, um, you, you use certain techniques that we would never use in this country. We don't, we don't recognize these. And so... What does what, so Harper says? No, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sign this. And at the time, the Indian government says, "Well, you've got these people in in, in Canada who speak out against uh, against India. They talk about our human rights record. They talk about separation." And Harper's response was, "Well, in Canada, we believe in the freedom of speech. If they want to advocate for Khalistan, they're free to do so as long as they do peacefully." And so the Indian government was very disappointed. And when Trudeau comes to power, they take the opportunity to try to compel him to get to sign this. And so they refuse to meet with him. You'll remember when Trudeau lands in India, there's nobody there to greet him when he gets on that trip. And so what happens? And then the, these news stories that were planted start to, to come out. And ultimately, Trudeau has to cave in order to get a meeting with Modi because now he needs to salvage this it for the Canadian media purposes. And part of the salvaging this and getting that meeting was signing the security sharing agreement. And so one of the asks that comes out of yesterday is, hey, Trudeau, we want to take concrete steps against a, a nation that you now recognize is interfering in this country? Well, the first thing is, let's actually pull out of that security sharing agreement. Let's pull out of trying to share any type of intelligence with the Indian government because we know that they are spreading face, uh, false information about Sikhs and we knew that they're the targets of that false information would be Sikh activists in this country. And, and it's no surprise, a year later, for the first time in history... Six are included in the terror report. Say that, you know, Sikh Canadians are a potential threat to domestic security in this country. And that's when a, a, a movement started of the of Canadian Six to say, well, prove to us that there's a, a threat to Canada. And ultimately, the government has to remove those sections. They ultimately say that there is no evidence to show that, that there's any threat to any country from the activism of, of Six in Canada. You know, like for the average person that's doing their best in good faith to scale up their knowledge on this story and learn as quickly as they can. If they Google Hardeep Singh Nijar, they're going to see a couple of different they're going to see him described in a couple of different ways. They're going to see him described as a Canadian sick yeah. who was murdered. Yeah. And then depending on the news source, they will also see him described as a Khalistani terrorist. Right. Right. So one of the things people need to remember is that whenever you speak out against the Indian government, you will be labeled an extremist. You will be labeled a Khalistani. There is nothing wrong in advocating for a separate sovereign state for the Sikh nation. People need to remember that prior to 1850, the Sikh empire existed as its own autonomous nation. Right. 1815 is when the British then take over control of the Punjab. Post that 1947, with the creation of India, a lot of Sikh uh, perspectives and political uh, sentiments don't support the creation of this new nation. I think a lot of people forget that India is is a modern creation. Uh, you know, there there is people who continue to push for sovereignty. Um, that movement, you know, led to ultimately what is called the Sikh genocide of 1984, and we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. um, but again, one of the things that the Indian government does really well is work hand in glove with its media. 
when you talk about media freedoms in, in India, it's one of the worst nations for, for media freedoms. India regularly um, does internet blackouts in places where there's criticisms of what's happening or where they're enforcing draconian measures on um, organizing or protest. We all remember the farmers' protest from a few years ago, of course. which was one of the world's largest ever protests. Again, led predominantly by people from Punjab and Sikhs uh, who stood up from there and went and marched to Delhi. We remember the violence they were met with by the Indian state. We remember the internet blackouts. We remember the the, the false media narratives that the Indian government tried to plant uh, to, to uh, again, accuse them of being Khalistani extremists. Say that these farmers who were coming to Delhi to protest against uh, the farmers' bills, th- they were Khalistanis. And everybody who speaks out against us is a Khalistani. This is a nation that people... Modi is a genocidal leader. He is a man who in 2002 committed genocide in Gujarat when he was chief minister. He was banned from the U.S. I mean, the Americans, one of the biggest uh, outcomes from this is the Americans were seeking to, to have a better relationship with Modi as a bulwark to China. With the, with the leader who you banned because of his human rights record. He hasn't changed. You know, the attack on Muslims in India has continued by Hindu nationalists. The attack on Christians in Manipur just a few months ago, hundreds of Christians have been targeted and killed. Um, it, it, even with Dalits, you know, low caste uh, and uh, people in India, high caste continue, the caste violence continues. And these are all things that Sikhs in Canada continue to speak out against. This is the problem. India wants to portray itself as the world's largest democracy. And there are members of the Canadian government and MPs who exist in in different parties who want to uphold this uh, illusion that this is the world's largest democracy. When Canadian Sikhs have been telling you that India does not believe in the same democratic norms and values that we in Canada understand. Um, I think it's of interest to our audience to know that it's believed that the the Prime Minister spoke about this in the House of Commons yesterday because the PMO learned that the Globe and Mail was set to break this story. Uh, The Prime Minister reportedly briefed presidents, prime ministers in the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, France, and and potentially elsewhere here. Uh, Particularly interesting, and I'm I'm curious for your comment on this, to see what uh, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh had to say about this. Uh, yesterday tweeting, uh, today, we learned of allegations that agents of the Indian government murdered Hardeep Singh Najjar, a Canadian killed on Canadian soil, uh, which uh, just reading that is like, you know, he says to all Canadians, this is my vow. I will leave no stone unturned in the pursuit of justice, including holding Narendra Modi accountable. What does that look like to you? Well, the one thing that people need to understand, Jagmeet Singh has been speaking out about the Indian government from before he was an MP. He was banned, he was denied a visa to India for speaking out about, about its human rights records. Jagmeet Singh has been consistent on speaking out against India. And we know that, that the Indian government has made attempts to discredit Jagmeet Singh in this country because of his stances. And so for a long time, he's been pretty quiet on this. So to see him you know, come out yesterday so boldly, and I mean, his party did put out a motion several months ago uh, uh, speaking out against Hindu nationalism and the violence that is associated with it. But the community has always known that agents exist to surveil, to interfere, to, um, to absolutely undermine Canadian Sikh interests. This has happened in the 80s. It happens in the 90s. It's currently happened. You know, there is evidence of media journalists 
um, Indian media journalists who have been on the payroll of the Indian government to surveil Canadians. That came out in an immigration hearing of this journalist when he actually applied for um, his immigration status here. It came out in the record that he was on the payroll of the Indian government. And so these are things that the community has known and Jagmeet Singh has known about Indian agents operating in Canada for a long time. Do you think the United States would do anything about this? Do you think the UK would do anything? Do you think this, like I was, I was referencing before you joined us, Harmon, when you, you were in our green room, the CNN headline on this, I don't know if you've seen it, India expels Canadian diplomat. And, and by the way, you know, as we mentioned, Canada expelled an Indian diplomat, uh, Pavan Kumar Rai. Uh, but India expels Canadian diplomat in tit-for-tat move as, quote, spat over assassinated sick activist deepens. You think the U.S. does anything about this? You think the U.S. wants to get involved in this at all? Uh, can I say Americans have been killing people on their own soil for years? <laughs> well, That's kind of what the U.S. has done. The, the U.K. did nothing. So the U.K., we right now in, in an Indian jail is a Scot by the name of Jagdar Singh uh, Jaggi. Uh, so Jaggi, Jaggi uh, uh, Singh Joel, I got his name wrong, sorry. Jaggi, his only crime was that he set up a website called Never Forget 84. Never Forget 84 was a, a website to commemorate the victims and the people who stood up during the Sikh genocide of 84 when the Indian government storms the holy site of the Sikhs, the, the Golden Temple. And after that, the violence where tens of thousands of innocent Sikhs were killed. Jagdar Singh Johal set up this website where he talks about this Sikh genocide. And it's been recognized by a genocide by the Parliament of Canada, by senior leaders in the BJP in, in India when they were not in power. You know, everyone has recognized, uh, recognized this as genocide. He goes to India for his wedding. He's abducted off the street. This is a Scottish national. He's abducted off the street in, in, in plain daylight, and he is then detained. He's held without charge for years. When the charges are laid, he still hasn't been tried. He's been in an Indian jail for over 2,400 days. And yet, the UK government has still not said anything. There was pressure on Rishi Sunak when he went to the G20 to speak out about Jagdar Singh Jal, and he refused to do so. Avtar Singh Kanda was assassinated in the UK in March of this year, or uh, June of this year, and Rishi Sunak has done nothing. Countries have consistently put economic interests and trade deals ahead of human rights. It's not the first time. I'm not justifying it, Harmon, but it's not the first time. Absolutely not. And this is one of the biggest frustrations that sick Canadians have felt, is that this government was prioritizing a trade deal over human rights. And we had brought this up consistently with the government and with opposition leaders. And so for the first time yesterday, when Prime Minister Trudeau steps up and actually names the Indian government, um, it was a moment of relief for so many, a moment of vindication, a, a moment of, of anger that, you know, why didn't you recognize this before? But so much of the Canadian mainstream has been misled, misled by talking heads who claim authoritative voices over Canadian sick issues. After Hardeep Singh Nijjar was assassinated, there was local media in Vancouver who tried to propagate a false uh, story that this was sick on sick violence when everybody, tens of thousands of Sikhs are saying that this is the Indian government. We're, we're yelling at people that we know this was the Indian government. You had media members who said, well, no, this is sick on sick violence. Uh, this, is, uh, this is some other story. Trust me, because I've covered this community for decades. I understand. Uh, no, they don't understand, and they're not authoritative voices on this, and they've been misleading the Canadian public about the role of the Indian government in interfering in this country. There, there, there have been reports of uh, relating to what you're talking about. People can check out baznews.org. 
uh, Jessica and Sandu has been on the show before, yeah. uh, penned this piece. Uh, this was back on uh, not too long ago, Harmon. A couple days ago. F- f- September 15th. An Indian counterintelligence agent is working at the Indian High Commission in Ottawa. Stories like these don't get like a ton of traction in the mainstream, in the, in the, in, in the Canadian population, in part, I think, because the average person doesn't fully understand it. They don't understand why it's such a big deal. Yeah, and I think you know one of the reasons why we did we set up Boz News was to get to counter these narratives. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a story from three days ago, uh, talking about you know the evidence that existed. So while we expelled one diplomat, there's another that we've named uh, who's actually a counterintelligence agent who's been placed here to to uh, to you know theoretically his position is to to renew visas and yeah. passports. No, he's a counterintelligence agent. He's here to spy on Canadians. Um, we know that. That's public knowledge. We've put it out there. Yet, you know, he's not been expelled yet. The Canadian government still hasn't taken the steps of actually pulling out of this security, uh, security sharing uh, agreement. You know, there's there's calls for a public inquiry. Canadian six have been in this country for over 100 years. Surveillance of this community has been there since the beginning. Even in the nineteen, uh, the, the early nineteen hundreds, uh, the British government would surveil the Sikh community in in the port of Vancouver. There was there was evidence of agents who would infiltrate the community, who were paid to actually disrupt the community, to divide the community, um, and all around the, the period of the Kamagatamaru, um, there was actually an agent. Hopkinson, who was brought from India, who had experience in India, he understood the language, and he was brought and he was made in charge of the Port of Vancouver. And his job was to surveil the Canadian Sikh community. Because at the time, Sikhs had left India, they had come to the shores of this country, and they were organizing against imperialist forces. They were organizing against colonialism. They were saying that we, sh- we want to be able to enjoy the freedoms of democracy as well. And at that time, we were being surveilled, and it's never stopped. Uh, Pierre Poliev spoke on this in, in the House of Commons yesterday for about two and a half, three minutes. Um, and, and I would say that, uh, of anything, this might be the closest that the Prime Minister and Mr. Poliev have agreed on anything. Um, he, too, described this as an attack on Canadian sovereignty, demanded full transparency from the government of India. Uh, what do you think would represent uh, meaningful action on this by the Canadian government. When, when, when Jagmeet Singh talks about uh, holding Narendra Modi accountable, um, some people may scoff at, oh, Canada's going to hold uh, India accountable. Canada's going to hold Modi accountable. But what does that look like to you? You know, I think the statement itself yesterday was a huge step in holding India accountable. Because now you've seen that Australia has to react, the Americans have to react, other democratic nations have to react to this type of allegation. Everyone, this is a seismic shift in how India is viewed worldwide. They are now being associated. Again, it's all there. The record of Modi as a genocidal leader, the drift of the Indian government to a right-wing fascist government that is unleashing violence on minorities exists. You know, the, the oppression of Dalits, of Christians, of Muslims, and other minorities and religious minorities in that country exists. Why the conservatives have somehow even spoke about this as being some democratically, uh, the world's largest democracy. Don't forget, when Trudeau is trying to hold Modi accountable, the conservatives are attacking him 
for not, uh, you know, not working with the world's largest democracy. Shiv Majumder, who is well known as a Sikh genocide denier, who has worked to undermine the, the voice of Sikh Canadians, you know, freshly minted MP, you know, takes the opportunity when, when Trudeau was in India to double down on that the Prime Minister is embarrassing us. Pierre Polyev himself, knowing what he knows about the Indian interference, we raise it with these governments. They know these issues. He took the shot at Trudeau while he was there for his own political points and partisan uh, uh, partisan points. It's disappointing. I mean, what I saw from Pierre Paul Yev yesterday wasn't enough to walk back his previous support of the Indian government. Um, I think as, as a whole, Canadian Six want to see a public inquiry. We want to see transparency. We want to see the... Because the, remember, and, and we'll go back to this, Hardeep Singh Nijjar was warned by in Canadian intelligence that he was going to be a target. Mm. And he's not the only one. There's many others on that list who have been warned by Canadian intelligence that you're on a list, that your life is in danger. The day that Hardeep Singh Nijjar was assassinated, he stood up in the Gurdwara and he gave a speech that said that I know that the Indian government is trying to kill me, but I will never stop advocating for six, for six human rights and for six sovereignty. That is the type of, that's the type of what we say, you know, spirit that, that Sikhs live in. Hardeep Singh Nijjar knew that he was going to be killed by the Indian government. He embraced it and he still spoke out. But for those others who've been warned, we want them to be, to have security. We want the Canadian intelligence to actually ensure the safety of Canadians. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, I'm referencing CBS News reporting out of the United States on this. Uh, Public Safety Minister Dominic LeBlanc, obviously a Canadian minister, uh, said yesterday to CBS uh, that Canada's national security advisor, the head of CSIS, Canada's spy service, have traveled to India to meet their counterparts and to confront Indian intelligence agencies with the allegations. He described it as an active homicide investigation led by the RCMP. Uh, Melanie Jolie, minister, uh, says she would raise the issue with her peers uh, in New York City. This would have been last night ahead of the U.N. General Assembly. Um, I wanted to give you a chance. This is this is taking people behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, you and I are friends. I've been for quite some time. And we did a show on uh, June 22nd of this year. Uh, and people can check it in our archives. Uh, I believe that we, we titled it, uh, was it called Canada's Forgotten Tragedy? I think it was. Unremembered. Uh, unremembered Tragedy. And it was, uh, you remember it well, obviously. Uh, and it was uh, approaching the anniversary uh, uh, June 23rd, of course, back in 1985, the bombing of Air India Flight 182, uh, which claimed 329 lives. And we were speaking with Mira Nair here in studio. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I did not anticipate the blowback from that conversation. Uh, and I promised you at some point that you would have the floor yes. uh, to respond to this interview. And so I've asked you to give us a couple of key moments in that interview that you wanted to directly respond to and now feels like the right time to do it if you're prepared for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this is back. This is uh, from an episode of Real Talk this year. This wasn't that long ago. This is back on June 22nd. We're going to play uh, two clips from that interview and then we'll have Harman Singh Kandola uh, respond. Here's number one. This is a small community with or sub-community within the Indian Canadian community. I can't stress that enough. But for that group, they still venerate the bombers. They are still, you know, apparently uh, of the belief that violence justifies a political objective. And they're not afraid 
to present the story in their terms. I think it's safe to say that chances are more Canadians are aware of the persecution of Sikhs in India than they are of the punishment for that activity, which was meted out on Canadians. And so right before that clip, which one of the other things she talks about is the enmity that people still have for India. And so the way that, that um, Dr. Nair frames this conversation um, is, you know, the Indian government on one side and, and you know, um, these anti-forces on the other side. Uh, the difficulty here is when she goes into speaking about the context, she she doesn't provide it. And when you have the opportunity to talk about these types of issues, I think the context is really important. The Indian government went into the, the, the sixth most holy shrine and they, with, with their army and they absolutely desecrated and killed it in a countless amount of innocent six. The Sikh community was absolutely enraged. People in uh, British Columbia organized against the Indian government and spoke out against the government of India. And in, in what she says, she talks about um, how people like Ujjal Dosanjh were um, attacked for speaking out. Well, he wasn't attacked for speaking out against what the Indian government did, which is what, what, what uh, it seems like she says. No, he was attacked for speaking out against those who were opposing the Indian government. And the relationship with the Canadian Sikh community with Ujjal Dosanjh is a long, long story and one that that I think a lot of Canadian Six, you know, feel that he's worked against the interests of Canadian Six. So when she talks about that there's certain people who venerate the bombers, that's absolute falsehood. There's nobody as part of the Sikh community who venerates the bombers of Air India. Every Sikh in Canada recognizes the tragedy. They want to remember the victims. But these types of false narratives, that there are people who venerate the bombers. There is one Gordwara in BC that has a photo of Talwinder Singh Parmar in it. And that is the example used by the Terry Molesky's and the Terry Glavins and the Miranaires to say that here are people venerating a bomber. Absolutely not. Those people who have a photo of Talwinder Singh Parmar do not believe he was the bomber of Air India. They believe that he was set up by the Indian government um, to be the accused. And why do they say that? Because he is, he is extradited to India and before he can be tried... And before there's any type of um, inquiry or anything uh, before that, he is killed extrajudicially. So there's, again, so India government says he's responsible, give him to us. Canadian government sends him over, and what happens? He's killed. There is no due process. There is no trial. He's killed. And, and conveniently enough, there is uh, an a, a, um, admission that is then produced. So for those small minority who who have photos of Talwinder Singh Parmar, they look at him as a martyr who was set up by the Indian government, that in fact he had no connection and it was actually Indian agents. So for anybody to say that there's people in the Canadian Sikh community that, that venerate the bombers, that's absolutely false. That's absolutely false. There is nobody who does that. This is uh, one of the other moments. I mean, I'll let our, I'll let our audience know you wanted to comment on like yes. the whole yes. thing. That's right. Uh, but for the purposes of time, uh, here's the other one that, that you asked us uh, to present. A parade um, three weeks ago in Brampton. Three weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, a parade was um, commemorating what is considered a, a day to recognize martyrs um, in the Sikh faith. And one of the parade floats depicted the assassination of Indira Gandhi under the title of Revenge. 
And as best as I've been able to determine from our official government, um, no member has really said anything about it. Patrick Brown did, um, you know, give an interview to Indian media that he, he deplored the violence. But I just find it telling that Canadian media didn't seem to really want to engage on this topic. So, again, I feel that we haven't made much progress from uh, where we were in the 1980s. The veneration of um, th- those martyrs who assassinated Indira Gandhi has nothing to do with the Air India bombing. These are two separate issues. Uh, for six in Canada, Indira Gandhi, who was a prime minister of India, was an absolute tyrant and dictator. She committed um, uh, she committed the atrocity of attacking the sixth most holiest shrine. Uh, at the same time, in June of 1984. Uh, hundreds of other Gordwaras across uh, India were attacked. Innocent Sikhs were killed, uh, all for the crime of being able to express uh, their right that they should have a, a sovereign Sikh nation. Uh, a lot of innocent people who had nothing to do with this movement. There are people in Canada, in Edmonton, who live with the trauma of being picked up with and held without charge, of having seen their brothers and their and their parents and their mothers and their sisters be be killed extrajudicially. That was the 80s and 90s in India. For her to say that you know that that there should be some crackdown on those who venerate um, those who killed Indira Gandhi, the Canadian Sikh community absolutely celebrates the, the assassination of Indira Gandhi. She was a dictator. She was a she was a tyrant. She was a genocidal leader. For for Canadian Sikhs, there is no issue with looking at Indira Gandhi and her assassination. The people who assassinated were her own bodyguards who felt that they were duty bound. To hold her accountable because as a Sikh community, there was no other path. Um, what that leads to is the Sikh genocide. Uh, the assassination of Indira Gandhi leads to a Sikh genocide where 10,000, after three days of violence, where no police, no army stepped into Delhi while mobs massacred Sikhs, innocent Sikhs in, in New Delhi. After three days, 10,000 bodies lay in the streets of the capital of India in 1984. Up until today, not a single person has been held accountable, has been convicted, and it was done by the state. The state provided lists and roles, ID roles of who the Sikhs were, where they lived. They gave those to mobs who then went in and killed Sikhs. That is what she's talking about. And that's the context that she is not telling you. Um, that so much of the of the advocacy that comes after this is for justice for the victims of genocide, and for her to somehow conflate that. Well, Canadians know more about Sikh genocide than they do about Air India, and, and that and there's something wrong with that. No. Let's recognize the victims of Air India. Let's commemorate those innocent uh, children and, and families uh, who were the victims of that. And let's also remember what happened in India and the genocide happened. There was a book. It's called Soft Target. It was by two uh, reporters, National Post reporters. Um, this book, Soft Target, lays out, and it's from, from that period of time, and it count, covers that, that period of time of the 80s. It covers how the Indian intelligence services had infiltrated Canada. And in one of the for, uh, forwards, Edmonton, local Edmonton late MP David Kilgore mm-hmm. actually writes one of the forwards, and he was a great friend of the Canadian Sikh community. And he writes about how he had credible intelligence. He had credible intelligence that the Air India bombing, the, all, all paths about who was responsible lead to the Indian consulate and the high commission. And so when the inquiry happens at Air India, the World Circle Organization applies to have David Kilgore and the authors of Soft Target, 
which is the comprehensive book about Indian interference in this country, appear at that inquiry. And those requests were denied. Hmm. So the people who would point and actually show you evidence of the Indian government's involvement in Air India, those voices were silenced. And to this day, they've been silenced. I, I, I can think of other, like Terry Malefsky, Terry Glavin, like there are other Canadian journalists that have really gone to the wall, yes. uh, in particular on their comments on the, on the Air India bombing. Um, to bring this conversation full circle, um, when you heard the Prime Minister speak to this yesterday publicly uh yeah yes you're the vp alberta for the world sick organization and, and, and all of the other things people know you from your political involvement and everything else but just you as a as a human uh, how did you feel how do you feel today talking about this publicly it's been so many years ryan of not being believed it's been so many years of people dismissing this type of conversation as conspiracy that you know what why Why does the Indian government care? Um, why would they do this? Why would we've lived our entire lives understanding that Indian agents operate in this country and they surveil us? You know, we as Sikh activists face the brunt of of targeting, even whether it's online, whether it's in person, whether it's character assassination. My friend Jaskarn Sandhu, who wrote that piece for Boz News about that counterintelligence mm-hmm. agent, when he ran for municipal government, uh, municipal office in Ontario a year ago, two years ago, he was the most attacked and abused municipal candidate across Canada. The Smart Center for Democracy did a report on online abuse, and he was the number one target. Why? He was labeled as an extremist, a Khalistani, uh, this is the type of abuse we face on a daily basis for speaking out. During my campaign, given my comments about Modi, given my comments about the Indian regime during the farmers' protest, I had local elements of the Indian community who protested me and continue to protest me for speaking out about what Modi does and how Modi treats minorities in that country. Even today, talking about this, when I left the house this morning, my mother told me not to. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. She asked me where I was going. And I said, I'm going to do an interview about what, what the prime minister said. She said, don't do it. I don't want you to do it. Mm. Because she knows the consequences that we face for speaking out. Everybody understands it. And finally, yesterday, the prime minister confirmed everything that we've been saying. And so for us, that moment of vindication, that moment that now we would be taken seriously incredible when we speak, and when Canadian six tell you that something's an issue that will be believed, that is a relief. I think I know the answer, but I want to hear you say it. So why did you disobey your mom and show up here today? When Hardeep Singh Nijjar knew that he was going to be killed by the Indian government, he continued to speak out. The day he was assassinated, he talked about it from stage, that no matter what happens, a Sikh will always speak out against oppression. We will always stand up for human rights. That is our duty. That is our obligation. That is our responsibility. It's something that we've done throughout our history. In 1916, Meva Singh who was a Canadian Sikh, assassinated General Hopkinson in Vancouver for what Hopkinson was doing to the community at the time. Meva Singh Lopoke stood up and said, I want to be a good Sikh, but I'm also a good citizen of this country. Hmm. And if this country is to mean anything, if its democratic principles and values are to mean anything, then w- there is sacrifice that needs to be made. That people need to stand up for what's right, what's truthful, and that is what a Sikh will do. 
ultimately he assassinates um, uh, uh, Hopkinson. But for Canadians, he's a Shahid. He's a martyr. He's somebody who actually stood up for the truth. And he knew he had no way out. But today we have that path, which is to advocate and to educate and to inform the public. And so for me, Mavis Singh Lopoke has always been somebody who's an inspiration for me. And it's what guides me when I talk about these types of issues. Harman Singh Handola is uh, VP Alberta for the World Sick Organization Canada. You can check out the work that they do, obviously, around the world uh, by visiting worldsick.org. And we'll put that uh, web link in the episode description for the podcast and on YouTube. Uh, mad respect to you, Harman. And thank you for, for stepping out and, and being willing to talk about this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jasper. You bet. This conversation happens because of Real Talk sponsors like our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And they want to let you know right now that their fall specialty menu is out. That includes the fall blizzards, uh, including that pumpkin pie blizzard that everybody loves with those real chunks of pumpkin pie. Don't forget their signature stack burgers while you're there as well. This is a great way to skip all the work of preparing lunch or preparing dinner for the family. You can check out the Backyard Bacon Ranch Signature Stacker. I love the Bacon Two Cheese Deluxe, the Flamethrower, if you like a little extra spice in your life. You can order these by name at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. I was telling you that we had a wonderful family gathering in our backyard over the weekend. It was the first time that we've welcomed people to the yard and uh, been able to kind of show off our our, our, our overhaul our our project bringing that space to life with eden landscaping is like 98 percent done and so we decided to open up the gates and let a couple of our family members in the nephews were loving running around on that turf that artificial turf looks beautiful of course we've got that fire pit in there we're going to show you all the photos and the videos in the weeks and months to come but for me, it was just having that yard work for us and look good. That was the biggest challenge. That was the number one thing on our list. When we sat down with Mike and his team through that design process, we basically said, when I look out the back window of our house, I'm embarrassed at how our yard looks. But we can't do some big fancy install because we got kids. We got big dogs. We need the yard to work for us. Well, they found that perfect balance and they can do the exact same thing for you. Yeah, the implementation, the actual build, they do a great job, but the planning is when their team comes to life. You can connect with Eden Landscaping by visiting landscapeedmonton.ca. Friesen Brothers wants you to know that at all 16 Alberta locations, and, and by the way, early in 2024, there's going to be 17, and I can't wait to tell you about the new one opening up in Edmonton, uh, just off that traffic circle on 142nd Street, 107th Avenue. News on that to come, but right now the big news is that the Alberta Beef Roundup is back. It's a two-week tradition that Friesen Brothers has been maintaining since 1955. There's a couple of different options, and you can check them out online at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N, or you can, of course, just visit them in-store. A custom-cut whole hip that's about 70 pounds, or a 50-pound freezer pack custom-cut and wrapped by their skilled butchers, just the way your family likes it. Don't delay. It'll be over before you know it. It's the Alberta Beef Roundup at Friesen Brothers. Our friends at Apex Automation want you to know that they're hiring right now. As a matter of fact, they haven't stopped hiring for about a year and a half. It's because they're Canada's fastest growing automation firm 
and they're working across industries. I mean, here on the show, we talk about the energy industry. They're there. We talk about agriculture. They're there. We talk about shipping and receiving, Canada's ports. Guess what? They're there. They're working in brewing. They're working in autonomous vehicles, remote terminal units, all the kinds of things that represent the future of where industry is going. If you've got your PNG, if you're a professional engineer and you're looking to work for a company that's going to value you and help you reach your full potential, you can explore a career at Apex today by visiting the appropriate link at apexautomation.ca. And we also wanted to draw your attention to an initiative. This is a website that's been put up by the members of Civic Service Union 52. That's CSU 52. We've talked so much about inflation over the last while. It's impacting everybody. CSU 52 is looking for a fair bargaining agreement. For the past five years, wages for 83% of their members have been frozen. So taking inflation into account, that's a pay cut. It means that, you know, they're community members. They're your neighbors. They've got families and they're trying to stretch dollars further than they ever have before. CSU 52 believes that they deserve a fair and equitable workplace, which means a cost of living increase. If you'd like to show your support for them, you can check out their website at edmontonforeveryone.ca. It's kind of in this uh, theme today on the show. Uh, Harmon obviously knows what he's talking about and, and has a great degree of, of passion for his involvement um, on a number of different layers with the World Sick Organization. Mm-hmm. And then Claire and Heidi before them uh, with the, you know, taking action on climate anxiety and seeing what you know, is happening around them and around the world uh, relating to climate change. And, and these are all members of the Real Talk community. All three guests that have been on the show today are Real Talkers that tune in or download the show or stream the podcast on a regular basis. And that's not lost on me. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think that's worth mentioning. This, this is a group. We know that this audience it, it numbers, you know, I mean, in the thousands every single day, obviously. But, but this is a group. You, by listening to this or watching this, by default, I would say, give a damn. And that, I think, fuels our work to a great degree as well, knowing that this is a forum uh, where people like Harmon and Heidi and Claire know that they can reach out and have a voice and, most importantly, be heard. Mm-hmm. And it's great because I, 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 think, I think a lot of people don't really know what's going on with this issue. And today they got a taste of it because it was all over social media. And they're like, you know, that's why I love the show we did um, with the previous guests as well that you showed clips of today, because it really I, I didn't know a whole lot about the issue until then. And then it's nice to hear Harmon's side as well. Yeah. Getting the contradicting uh, aspects. You know, my wife's husband or my wife's husband, <laughs> my wife's father is Sikh, of course. So mm. so this was an issue. I was like, wow, I, I, I don't know why more people aren't talking about this. But now you see everyone is talking about it today on social media. So. And, and, and it's, it's one of those things as well, too, where it's like if, if you know, it, it, we'll talk about something and we'll get someone's perspective on it, oftentimes we're going to get differing perspectives during the same interview. Mm-hmm. Like coming up on Friday, for example, our roundtable, this coming Friday, we've got the president of the Alberta Criminal Trial Lawyers Association, like the defense, and then we've got the president of the Alberta Crown Prosecutors Association, the prosecution, mm-hmm. and they're going to join us together. Oh. Uh, now, I suspect we may find some common ground because we're talking about violent crime. Yeah. And we're talking about, we'll be talking about things like bail reform, sentencing, mandatory minimums, yeah. uh, all, all, paro- you know, parole, uh, all, all kinds of things. Um, but also, they, they, I'm sure, will, will not see eye to eye in some no. areas, and that's a good thing. 
Whereas other interviews, we may talk to somebody and there that may that conversation, that interview may demand follow up. Mm -hmm. We'll hear from people that would oppose that perspective or see something differently. And we want to let them know that within reason on this show, um, I mean, you know, for a second, I'm being facetious. We're not welcoming Holocaust deniers. We're not welcoming people that have the other side of a coin that that is ludicrous or inappropriate or offensive. But if somebody sees an issue differently, their perspective is welcome here. Yeah, uh, we want to. I, I believe you know a friend of mine opened up a gym a while ago. It's not operating anymore, but he called it "forged by fire." And we hear of people's opinions and belief that are forged by fire that they've been put through the test. Mm-hmm. That you have you you have believed something to be true. You have put that up for rigorous debate and questioning. And if through that process you still believe what you believe your belief will be stronger. Mm-hmm. And if you, went, if you wind up through the process of introspection and investigation and debate, changing your opinion, then how is that not a positive either? Exactly. If you learn more about something and change your mind after becoming informed or more informed on it, then that's a positive. Yeah, that's why I don't like the social media feeds because they're too tailored to your opinion. The right? algorithm. Like you have to go and search out other opinions because just like you said, if any, if not anything else, it's going to at least give you the satisfaction of knowing that your opinion is right. But if you're just blocking off anyone else who has anything else to say, it's not going to happen. And I'm excited for this talk on crime and mandatory minimum sentences. I believe our chat's going to be fired up because I believe, yeah. especially here in Canada, and I believe this too, these sentences are not long enough for violent crime, murderers, pedophiles, like... It's just, it's it's not enough. I don't think Canada's doing enough to keep these people in jail where they should be to not hurt people for long enough. The ones that we know, you know, definitely are guilty of the crimes. Well, you're, you, but you're even here, I mean, you talk to, you know, if, 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 if you have a police officer in your life, if you, if you know someone, your, your, you know, your brother or your sister, your husband, your wife, your child, whatever, if someone works in law enforcement, they'll be the first ones to tell you <laughs> that it is a regular occurrence in Canada for someone to be arrested for something in the morning, released in the afternoon, and yeah. arrested again in the evening. Violent crime. That is Sexual a regular predators. occurrence. It's, yeah, it's, and it's, so, um, and I'm not talking about with like horrific killings, but I'm talking about things like, like you know, burglaries, uh, you know, crimes that are, that are impacting regular citizens. We hear from people all the time. I mean, like I've got some emails we're going to read here. Uh, none of them to do with violent crime, uh, but I'm sure those will come as soon as we put the invitation out. But there are people that, that will hear of uh, machete attacks, baseball attacks, unprovoked. You know, you remember the, the, the uh, I think she was about 67 years of age. She was a tourist. She was visiting here. She was an auntie and a grandma. I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, she was visiting, I think, from Chile mm-hmm. uh, to Edmonton. Uh, this was a few weeks ago, but, you know, punched in the face and knocked out on the train you know she they were going they were coming to see downtown edmonton i mean these these attacks are happening more and more frequently (laughs) unprovoked attacks uh did you hear this this story in edmonton just the other day i'm not sure if you saw the tweet i don't have it on me we're we're kind of freewheeling here but a tweet from the edmonton police service that described an 82 year old woman who 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 uh issued a friendly greeting i think it said a friendly greeting was the word they used uh to to a man in his 20s as they were boarding the bus and this guy viciously attacked and stabbed her mm-hmm. now thankfully uh first responders were able to get to her quickly and skilled surgeons at the hospital were able to save her life 
But what are we talking about it's right insane now? Right now, especially public transit in the city. Like me and my partner, we share a vehicle right now. We're looking to get a second one. But she wanted to go to the gym yesterday, ten minutes from her house, yeah. and she was going to take the bus, and she didn't because of all these it. stories. It's nobody wants to step on a bus. Nobody who does who isn't forced to. You know, financially, which is another thing. If 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 you can't afford a vehicle, you've got to risk your life just going to work or or getting home or taking your kids to school or what is it? Yeah. It was this tweet uh, to, to correct myself. The Edmonton police tweet used the word kindly on September 10th. An elderly woman kindly greeted a male in his 20s while on her way to catch the bus on 82nd Avenue. If you're outside Edmonton, that's White Avenue. That's you know, if that's Robson Street in Vancouver. Uh, the male, impaired by drugs, stabbed yeah, her, that. stabbed her without provocation. The woman brought to hospital for treatment has since been released. The suspect charged and in custody. When's the last time you saw a police release talk about someone kindly greeting someone else? Yeah, apparently right. she just said hello and he, he was on drugs. But that's yeah. another problem. Like the drugs, the drug problem in the city is facilitating all this crime around the happening. world. And then, you know, people are losing their minds on the bus, on the train. It's yeah, it's a big tornado yeah. right now yeah um wouldn't want to be the mayor <laughs> well, the, and i and i like the mayor he's a good guy when he comes in here he's doing his best but he's a nice guy it is uh, a handful but people are starting to wonder what the hell and uh whether you like it or not if you're elected mayor it is your problem um you know it at the different levels of government you know if, if you're jody gondek in calgary if you're amarjeet sohi in edmonton or or any of the mayor i mean we i'll let you know coming up on thursday of this week we have our uh we're welcoming back our friends from the alberta municipalities and we're going to be talking to three mayors mm-hmm. um and, and they're, they're not necessarily always the mayors from the 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 million population centers they're going to be the mayors in some of the smaller communities as well they're dealing with crime they're dealing with the opioid crisis they're dealing with everything else as well and across the country and around the world but if you're a mayor if you're the premier of a province if you're the prime minister this is your problem yeah and nobody cares if you're going to talk about i mean i thought our our housing roundtable last friday was great but jennifer keysmat former chief planner for the city of toronto was talking and and people can say well this is you know she says this isn't all the federal government Right. Like housing is not just a federal government problem. Mm-hmm. It's a provincial government problem as well, though the provinces love to point the fingers at the feds. And then when it comes to zoning, it's a municipal government issue as well. And mm-hmm. municipalities need to figure it out. So these these are on crime, on the opioid crisis, on the affordability crisis, on many other things. Uh, you might even argue climate change. And I think you could argue it successfully. Yeah. Nobody gets to simply point the finger at somebody else. We expect action from all of our elected leaders and from community members as well. We met three of them. We heard from three of them today that are taking action. How about our conversation back on September 13th? This was just six days ago uh, with uh, this is uh, Dr. Greenaway that joined us. And uh, she's been working for for many, many years, for like 20 years. Dr. Kate Greenaway has been working in gender affirming care. Uh, So she works with trans and non-binary patients. Uh, her clinic is called the Foria Clinic, and it's coming to Alberta. And she talked to you have to listen to the interview. Fascinating. She was an impressive person. Hey, like her where her heart is at with with what she does, like her calling uh, in healthcare and, and what she's dedicated her career to. It's impossible to not be impressed by her. There was a, a significant response to that interview, and I wanted to read a couple of them. Uh, this one from Kyle. Kyle caught my attention when he emailed talk at ryanjesperson.com because the subject line of his email said, gender affirming doctor misinformation. And I went, okay. He said, Jespo, I knew I was going to write into your show to disagree with somebody this week. 
And I had a tough time picking between uh, Dr. Greenaway and Charles Adler. But Adler's going to have to wait. He said, well, I do agree that someone should have the right to transition once they either become an adult or are close to an adult. The stats that the doctor claimed on your show are not backed up by evidence. And I wish you would have pushed back a bit harder, like on the doctor who's been doing it for 20 years. But anyway, he says, uh, you know, there are stats out there. The Mental Health Commission has found that one in three trans youth under the age of 18 has attempted suicide in the past year. Trans people are two times more likely to commit suicide than lesbian, gay or bisexual people and more than five times more likely than the general population. Now, it's been found that gender-affirming care had an acute reduction in suicidal ideation, but rates increased at five years back uh, to five times the national average by 15 years post-surgery. The issue of gender-affirming care is more than just hormones and surgeries. These people are suffering mentally with things like gender dysphoria, body dysmorphia. Or they're a part of a growing rise of this mental health ep- epidemic that has not been seen since the world wars. Uh, And Kyle, I might add that nobody was talking about it as a mental health issue after the World Wars. You'd probably agree. We talked about people having shell shock. We didn't understand anything about PTSD. Let me get back to your email. He says issues that I see, uh, especially with impressionable kids, and this is Kyle's opinion, is if the kid doesn't fit into their gender stereotype, then they are sometimes told that maybe they were just born in the wrong body or they face other external pressures. Thank you for your journalism and thanks for your work in the community. That from Kyle. Appreciate your thought. This one from Cameron, who also wrote in about that conversation with Dr. Greenaway. He said, uh, Jespo, Johnny, uh, this conversation really taught me. And he says, and it changed my opinion on this subject. He says, I've heard the rhetoric. I've heard the, the, the concerns. And he has concerns in quotes that people have on healthcare for trans and non-binary people. I've listened to Joe Rogan's episodes on transition regret, and I definitely was concerned about where this was headed in our society. What really hit me was Dr. Greenaway's point that they're trained professionals. And maybe instead of being concerned with situations that may or may not happen, we should strive to have resources like Dr. Greenaway to support trans and non-binary care so that people, including parents, can be properly informed like anybody would want with their own healthcare professionals. Cameron says, thank you for enlightening me during my early morning listening. I thought that was a great email and that meant a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. This one from Lisa, and uh, I've been hanging on to this for a bit. Lisa, you know, we, we make plans to get into our mailbag, and uh, I let Lisa know that we were going to read her message, but it's been a few days. Uh, we stepped inside Alberta's crowded classrooms, so to speak. This was back on September 6th, and we sat down with Carly Hren and uh, Lawrence Mile. And uh, Lawrence is an author. Uh, he's got the cover story in the latest issue of Alberta Views magazine, Uh, That's uh, titled Bursting at the Seams, and it talks about Alberta's crowded classrooms and wonders aloud, the piece does, why Alberta spends less per student than any other province in Canada. Uh, Carly was talking as well about her work as an elementary school teacher at uh, a city in a public division uh, in Alberta. And Lisa wrote in as a teacher to say, I listened to your episode on September 6th. And while I did think that the guests on your show were good advocates of public education, they didn't provide a full perspective. Now, the only one I can give is from being a K to three and special ed teacher for 21 years. Lisa sounds pretty good to me. She says, so from that perspective, your guests didn't 
seemed to actually really know what they were talking about. You know, your seasoned teacher of 11 years was a kind-hearted, articulate speaker for sure. Uh, but I have concerns if she's speaking on behalf of the entire profession. Like, I'm a public school teacher who's taught online for the last four years. Uh, Lisa says, yes, online still exists in the major metro, uh, metro Alberta school boards. Uh, she says, so people need to do more research. Uh, puff funding should have been talked about. And, and Johnny, this is one. As soon as you talk about puff funding, you're going to light a fire under people. Mm-hmm. This is uh, uh, program unit funding, uh, and uh, it, it's a source of great consternation and controversy for people that take a look at the bottom lines and the budgets of school boards and schools. Uh, so Lisa says, I don't know how there was no talk about puff funding. Like, would full day kindergarten be great? Yes, of course. But again, there's a lack of physical space for this to happen in Alberta. Full day kindergarten does happen, though, somewhere, typically in the higher needs areas of bigger cities. That from Lisa, who wanted to have her say, and now she has. Lisa, thank you for being in touch. I'll let people know, as a matter of fact, Lisa actually submitted her note to us by way of Instagram DM. She's one, like of the, one of the people that follows yeah, uh, Real Talk. Us. Yeah, Real Talk RJ However. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Hit us up wherever. Uh, Johnny does an amazing job on our TikTok. Uh, you can find <laughs> us on Instagram. You can find us on, on X, formerly known as Twitter. And of course, you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Great emails. They were good, right? Yeah, and, they were. And some people are going to be pissed off at what like Kyle had to say or some people yeah, are going like, to with I what still... Lisa had to say, but that that's okay. I still, that whole like post-op, you know, human beings who have transitioned and trying to uh, like get inside the mind of a person and be like, all these people, you know, the rising suicide rates or what, whatever the comment was. It's like, I, I don't know how you can comment on someone's state of mind pre or post-op when they're transitioning. Like they're still, yeah, yeah, they're dealing with all the issues, you know, related to their sexuality and their gender, but they're also dealing with the normal issues we deal with, financial, personal, whatever. On top of that, they're under attack, whether they're they've transitioned or not. But you got comedians standing up, making this a big issue. Everyone, so like I, that whole stat that people are trying to put together and and fight on on whether you know you're happier before or after you transition. I just it's too complicated to just put a number and say this is definite. Yeah, I just don't like it. I, we made a promise on on uh, November twenty third of twenty twenty which was episode one of Real Talk. We made a promise to this audience, and I know that there are some of you out there that have never missed an episode, which is unreal. I owe you dinner. Uh, But I promised you on episode one that this show would stay curious and that this show would seek to understand. And that's what we promise you will do every single day. Coming up on tomorrow's show, that's Wednesday's episode, we're going to talk to the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer, Max Fawcett, about a whole bunch of stuff, including the fact that oil prices are high right now. We want to know what that means for Alberta's bottom line, for the nation's bottom line, and whether or not it acts as a setback for any other climate-related initiatives. Plus, we're going to circle back with new details on the E. coli outbreak out of Calgary. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. 
Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 